0: Park well during blading or get tome towed. This week, we're speaking Strathcona County. The county, with a very, very, very large hamlet, squashes our regional transit dreams.
1: Plus, foreign interference in our traffic calming. Hi, I'm Troy.
0: I'm Mac. And we're speaking, speaking municipally.
1: municipally. Welcome
0: back to Speaking Municipally, episode 72. If you noticed at the end of the last episode, us doing another teaser, it's not happening again. No, nope, no teasers. We're going to stop teasing things because they just never seem to materialize when we jinx them beforehand. But one thing that materializes at the start of every episode is our rapid fire segment. Sherwood Park residents and counselors are up in arms about a red light camera that has issued over 2000 tickets in five months. The camera, located at Granada Boulevard in Sherwood Drive, has been issuing violations to drivers ignoring red lights for over half a year, much to the chagrin of residents and elected officials. Lisa Lestiqua, owner of the Sherwood Park business Purple Pierogi, took to the paper to say how out of control the situation had become after she received a ticket for violating the law three times and changed her behavior zero times in the past five months. Counselor Brian Botterell also expressed frustration, saying that they needed a solution that, and this is an actual unedited quote, maximizes the safety benefit while minimizing the costs to the motoring public. An upcoming debate at County Hall will focus on how they can enforce
1: the law without inconveniencing those that break it with punishments. The Oilers will lose Connor McDavid for two to three weeks as he recovers from an injured quad. With the Oilers in a tight playoff race, losing the second highest score in the NHL will certainly hurt, with many commentators looking to the highest score, also on the Oilers, to pick up the slack. With the pressure on, we asked Drysada what he thought of the timing of the injury, and heard back, The last time there was a quad injury, at this critical a time, we were just giving her in the bush, and Buddy's four-wheel ripped right into a tree, and Buddy was just bleeding all over the place. And I guess her wedding dress was a little bit red for the ceremony that afternoon. But, hey, when you and the boys got to go for a rip, you got to go for a rip, you know? (laughs) So stupid.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. We've never done that in a rabbit fire before. actually got a laugh from Troy. (laughs) And he wrote the joke. Tevosel Transplant Technologies, an Edmonton company, picked up a big win Tuesday in the NASA iTech competition held in Tampa, Florida, presenting a device developed to improve organ transplantation and possibly to place astronauts in hibernation for long-distance space travel. However, once again, NASA is on the fad technology side of history. Just like with the common parable about NASA spending millions of dollars to develop a pen that can write in space while the Russians just used a pencil, we too in Edmonton have a basic tried and tested solution to put anyone into hibernation. And that's listening to Edmonton City Council.
1: Speaking municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. This episode is brought to you by That's Food, a new podcast from CJSR, Edmonton's campus and community radio station. The podcast explores the backstory to food in Edmonton, one meal at a time. Here's a taste. What? You never heard of That's Food? (laughs) You know it's a good podcast, right? That's Food is a new podcast
0: from CGSR, Edmonton's campus and community radio station. Handmade with love by Universities of Alberta students.
1: Telling the backstory to food in Edmonton, one meal at a time. I
0: come from a big bread family, so like toast on toast on toast. Probably with maybe a different... Item you can toast. There's lots out there that's happening in Edmonton. I mean, we are not a sleepy city like most people think. I mean, we have stuff going on all the
1: time, which is exciting,
0: right? That's so tough. It's hard to pick pick just one flavor.
1: But you can always pick birthday cake. But you can always birthday. Pick, you can always pick birthday cake mm-hmm. on your birthday. On your birthday. Yeah. This podcast explores a wide range of topics on food, ranging
0: from interviews with influential food people to a deep dive into classic Edmonton meals. We'll be coming out with seven episodes.
1: But who's this podcast for?
0: People who are interested in stories of Edmonton, or food in Edmonton, or both.
1: Especially broad students who do to events for food. Basically every day, bruh.
0: It's every day, bro.
1: You can find us at That's Food on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts.
0: And on our website, that'sfood.transistor.fm.
1: Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at That's Food CGSR. New episodes drop weekly starting February 10th. But is it food? That's food! Listen to That's Food on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. You can also find it on their website, which is that'sfood.transistor.fm.
0: So this week, I had the unenviable position of taking the anti-transit position on Twitter, and everyone just piled on. It must have been a while since you caused a stir on Twitter and felt like you needed to. So this week... Strathcona County, they voted no to the regional transit plan that Edmonton put forward, the RTSC, as we've been calling it.
1: Every municipality in the region will get to vote on this. They'll all get to say whether or not they want to move ahead with regional transit. And Strathcona County was up first. And they voted no. And the mayor, Rod Frank, said, quote, It wasn't a rejection of collaborating in the region or transit. It was just the specific proposal that was in front of us. It was hard to justify entering into the transaction because there wasn't enough certainty around it. There was no net service level increase and no cost savings, end quote. So that was what he said. He said a few other things we'll get to. Because council didn't really do anything else this week, <laughs> it was a pretty light week at council, uh, we got no less than three Edmonton city councillors who commented on this story.
0: Michael Walters, who's been sort of the driving force of the RTSC, he's really been pushing this regional transit plan. He's vice chair of the transition team that is behind the report. Yes. And there was uh, a elected official from every affected county on the transition team. Michael Walters, he said, yeah, this doesn't matter. Uh We'll go on without them. Who who needs Strathcona County? Strathcona County, of course, was the second largest participant in the regional transit plan, with Edmonton committing just over 45-ish percent of the budget, and Strathcona County at around 26 percent. So that's not nothing. That's a big chunk of the regional just pulling out. But he said it's not fatal by any means. We also had Bev Eslinger and Aaron Paquette commenting on that. Aaron Paquette said, quote, if it makes no difference to them and they already invest into an excellent system, the question they have to ask
1: is why invest in a regional transit system? He said he's hesitant about Edmonton losing some autonomy as well.
0: Which is entirely reasonable on the surface, but not really. I was in Banff this weekend, and when I got back after six hours in a car going forty kilometers an hour on the QE2 because I was driving during that snowstorm. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, we don't need commuter rail. Driving is fine. I started angrily tweeting on Twitter to relieve my stress. And Mm. the first one is I read this article and I'm like, I'm dropping the hot take that Strathcona (laughs) County did nothing wrong here. Right. And being me, I can't back down from a position. So when people started pushing back, I had to get into some hard research. So the RTSC document, it's like a 250 page document cranky after driving home from Banff, I read 250 pages of regional transit documentation and then started tweeting back about it. So I've read a lot about regional transit in the past week. It's a bad deal for Strathcona County. Um, And a lot of people don't seem to realize why. And there's there's a couple key components. One of the key components of the RTSC is the governance structure. So how it would essentially work was we're going to create this regional board of transit that, you know, will handle the bedroom communities into Edmonton and it'll just be the regional routes. So Edmonton will still keep ETS, Strathcona County, and all the other municipalities would te- keep their local systems. But halfway through the planning is realized, well, because for Sherwood Park, or for example, there's just so much revenue is this
1: commuter traffic. That's the bulk of their transit system. Like going from Sherwood Park to Edmonton and back.
0: Yeah, it's... The rest of the transit system is a bit of a loss leader. You know, it's we have these commuter routes. That's our bread and butter. It doesn't really make sense to run a local system if we give away all of our uh, regional routes. Yeah. So the RTSC was updated and everyone except ETS would basically give their entire local transit system to the RTSC. So one, that means Strathcona County is basically going to take their entire budget transfer that they were going to spend on transit, give all that money, their entire fleet to the region. And then lose control. Now, some would argue that, you know, there's a regional structure and they'd have a voice on the RTSC, but that's not true because, like I said earlier, Edmonton commits over 40% of the budget to the RTSC. Now, there was a governance structure that said simple majorities is not enough to make decisions in the RTSC. You would need both a two-thirds majority of voting members. So each member gets one vote, but you would also need a two-thirds majority of funding committers. Mm. So with the city of Edmonton committing 40%, you can't hit 66% without them. Without them. Yeah. So functionally, this means that Strathcona County, for no cost savings, eventually over the next five years, they're materialize over the entire RTSC, 3 million of cost savings, which in the scope of transit is very, very little. Sherwood Park's unlikely to receive any cost savings. They're going to have loss of control of their entire transit system. And Edmonton is going to basically dictate everything both on commuter
1: and local routes in Strathcona County. That's a bad deal. Is it though? So there's two perspectives I have in in response to that. Mm-hmm. The first is like, surely it's really wasteful for each of the municipalities to have their own buses that maybe have you know, are actually different buses that have different maintenance requirements and their own, you know, people and their own need for parts and all the rest of the things that go into running a bus system like that. Wouldn't it make sense for the biggest one, Edmonton Transit, to be the one that decides what all of that looks like? Yeah. I would also argue that Edmonton Transit might be the worst of them. <laughs> they they also have the largest fleet, the most routes, the most complicated system to run. Sure. Believe me, I'm not an Edmonton Transit apologist. I'm just plain devil's advocate Yes. Here.
0: Credit there. It's a much more complex system. But we'll say that we're doing a transit review now. But prior to now, it's been 30, 35 years since Edmonton last materially updated its transit system. And it hasn't been working for us for mm-hmm. the past 30 years. Strathcona County, on the other hand, has a really good transit system. And I'm coming from a former Sherwood Park citizen. Right. The commuter routes to Edmonton are really good. Not It can't be undersold how nice the buses are in Sherwood right. Park, which, incidentally, the RTSC would have full deployment of the fleets in the various regionals. So we could theoretically, as Edmonton, with our 40% vote, Deploy the double decker buses to other municipalities or to Edmonton. Yeah. Wow. Um, because they're nicer than our buses. And that's one of the key things. Strathcone County has nicer buses and they've got buses that are designed on routes to service Sherwood Park residents exclusively. So, for example, the 411, 413, mm-hmm. that's their commuter route from Bethel Transit Station to uh, over by the University ish area and downtown. They don't stop at Capilano anymore. Um, the same way the White Ave routes, they don't stop at Capilano anymore. They used to stop on like 104 street on White Ave. They don't do that anymore. Presumably because Edmontonians were using the buses and it was slowing down the transit system. As someone who used to live on White Ave and would jump on a Sherwood Park bus, that was really inconvenient to me as an Edmontonian, but it made it better for the Sherwood Park residents. And that was one of the very specific catching points of the RTSC is like, well, we're running these duplicated routes. So... Making this regional route from Sherwood Park would allow us to cut the number fours route by 25%, reduce by 25% the number of the number fours running up White Ave. That means there's a lot of people getting on those Sherwood Park buses, right. which means a lot of delay in getting to the university. because if anyone's been on White Ave stopping at every stop, that's adds a lot of time to the transit route. Yeah. Now, all of these, sure, you may argue that, oh, we just make an express route but Strathcona County wouldn't have any control in that. Edmonton would unilaterally decide, decide, hmm, do we want to save 25% of our peak hour budget on this major route, or do we want to not do that so county people get a quicker ride?
1: One could see how the loss of control for Strathcona County would be a pretty significant sticking point. Well, that was the second thing that kind of caught my eye. None of the quotes from any of the elected officials who were talking about this talked about the quality of service to the actual users of it. They all focused on cost savings or control or autonomy or, you know, any number of other things, but not what's best for the riders. Did you find anything in the report that speaks specifically to that?
0: It used very flowery language about this is going to provide premium service to all riders and increase the level of service for all users. But it was a report that was very much selling this. Yeah, it's trying to convince them that they should do it. I think the reason you didn't hear anyone talk about quality of service is because... Strathcona County currently has better commuter quality of service at the direct expense of Edmonton. It's another instance of the county being parasitic on the city of Edmonton. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a problem. I'm saying from Strathcona County's perspective, they would be stupid to sign this deal. It's a bad deal for them. Right. Whether Edmonton should force them to sign the deal, that's a different question. Whether it's a good thing for the region. Exactly. Um,
1: I mean, this is a regional transit plan. The people that lose in the regional transit plan are the
0: people like Sherwood Park. Edmonton gains because we get to lower some of these parasites. We can save some of our road costs by getting more people into buses. But there are smaller regions that can't afford a transit system that a regional service would give them pretty frequent regional transit. Yeah. That means we, the big cities, are subsidizing it. Edmonton, well, it's it's okay because they're a drain on our resources, so we might make that back. Strathcona County, do they want to subsidize Morinville driving buses? The only benefit Strathcona County was getting out of this plan is a seven-day-a-week bus to Fort Saskatchewan. If there was demand for that route, they already would have built it. The underlying nature and the things that's not being said in all this is if we want to have Strathcona County pay their fair share, there's one way to do it, and that's road tools, which are illegal in Alberta. We can't have those. <laughs> so the regional discussion... It's not going to happen until we start applying punitive measures for vehicles driving down 98th Ave into Edmonton. And if we want to restrict traffic flow from Sherwood Park, we first have to restrict traffic flow from Edmonton.
1: And we've shown time and time again that traffic calming is not what we want to do. Okay, the other perspective on this before we move on is Mm -hmm. that it feels a little bit like we're having the same rehashing the same argument that I thought they had already kind of sorted out. It is called the Metro Edmonton Region, the Edmonton Metropolitan Region Board, Edmonton Global. All of these municipalities are partners in this, but we recognize that there's a big city in the middle of it and that they should have a greater say over the things that happen in the region because they attract, we attract more of all of these things to the region that benefits everybody. So it's kind of strange, isn't it, that that sort of fundamental thing is a sticking point on the very first vote when it comes to transit, no?
0: Yes and no. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of buy-in from the region. I don't think any municipality other than Sherwood Park is going to vote no on Hmm. the transit plan because every other municipality is a beneficiary of the plan. They just happen to be first. (laughs) Sherwood Park, yeah, has enough clout that they have an option to say no and for example, they have a refinery row, so they have a very specific industrial tax base that they make yeah. a lot of money off of, yeah. but they're primarily based around using Edmonton services. So we don't have any punitive measures. We saw, you know, in the last sort of political pre-election cycle, Don Avison saying things about like, maybe we're going to charge Sherwood Park people to use our rec centers right. and our roads. Comments that didn't go over well. And didn't go anywhere. We've seen that... We're putting Edmonton Global, Edmonton Metropolitan Region Board as the carrot as let's let's collaborate. Yeah. But we've been absent a stick because we're hoping the collaboration is enough to convince everyone in the region to buy on. Hmm. We've seen through this vote that without a stick, the carrots are not enough. So we either need a much, much larger carrot or we need to start finding ways to develop a stick. But absent either of those things, if this is the best we can do, we can't be surprised if our regional collaboration plans fail because it's asking people to eat their peas without really giving them any dessert afterwards.
1: I like that. Nailed the
0: line. Got it. We had an Australian come into Edmonton. I was really excited. Paths for People, they've organized a couple big events mm-hmm. in the past few years. There was uh, Gil Penalosa did a City for life. Jeanette Sadek-Khan, who was the previous uh, planner from New York City, she came in. Talked about how we can take back our streets with the street fight. Right. So I was pretty excited when we had, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, David Endwick. I think is yep. his. David E. Yeah, David E. He came to Edmonton to do a talk about how we can you know collaboratively take back our public spaces and i was pretty excited for it did you go to the talk i did i was in
1: attendance okay one of the, i did not go to the talk so let me just say as a sort of framing to this issue that we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things he told post media the edmonton journal in an interview but i've heard that it was maybe not as fair to him or nuanced as his actual talk So I'm curious in your take on that when we get into it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of the things he talked about, though, in the Edmonton Journal article, at least, was that the city of Edmonton should not spend another cent on traffic calming. And he had this crazy idea, in my mind, that there's all these houses around the city of Edmonton with fences in front of them. And that it's the fences that make people go fast. So we're going to add some of that context that you missed (laughs) from the talk. Um,
0: I will say that I am not of the position that his talk was more nuanced. Um, I thought his talk was trash. Okay, fair enough. And I was loud in the lobby disagreeing with all of his points. But he did make some salient points and the one about the fences is applicable to another municipality. Basically, his argument was that cars go fast on our streets based on the proportion to which we've collectively retreated from our streets so you know kids used to play hockey in the streets so cars went slow then one day some mother said hey it's not safe in the street play on the sidewalk instead so cars sped up and then they said well sidewalks not safe anymore cars are going too fast come to the front yard come behind the fence the idea is we put up this fence uh, to keep our people safe and that is an invitation for cars to drive fast
1: And I guess there's some logic to that. One of the other things he said in the article is that, quote, simply putting up a new sign won't work. People drive at the speed that the environment tells them it's safe to drive, end quote. And I think there's some logic to that. But that also kind of is the opposite of what he's saying with traffic calming. Surely traffic calming is the environment telling you that you need to go slower. So there's two points there.
0: One is he didn't seem to look at the context of edmonton at all okay we don't have front fences in edmonton not like really anyway yeah that's not culturally something that we have though his points about us retreating from the streets are very salient you don't see people playing street hockey in our grid neighborhoods anymore so Hmm. yeah uh Taking down the fence is not a good enough solution. His thing about traffic calming is he seemed to use traffic calming as a specific technology measure. So when he says don't do traffic calming, he doesn't mean don't slow down the traffic. He means don't put in punitive measures like speed bumps. Um, It gets a little more ambiguous in whether he's okay with extended curbs and raised crosswalks. He seemed to indicate he wasn't really on board with using any of those, Hmm. which you'll find... I mean,
1: another cent, not another cent would suggest anything related to traffic calming.
0: The basic crux of his argument is that he wanted, and this is a quote, uh, to bring in a new civility. He makes the point that if you're in a neighborhood and you start waving your fist at a driver going too fast, what is a fist signal fight or flight that driver is going to go faster yeah but if you wave at that person then they'll slow down they'll say, hey what's that guy waving for and the, basically the crux of his argument a little less stupidly is just wave at more drivers and start building relationships and things will slow down
1: yeah when i read the article i thought a lot about jane jacobs and the idea of eyes on the street promote safety it's a similar kind of argument i think to what he was trying to make but related to transportation related to cars
0: all of this sounds, you know, as I've explained it, pretty decent. Like it's, it's tempered as expectation. The problem is it's a bunch of flowery language. And it was a, over the talk for like the first hour and a half. I was like, okay, sure. But then came question and answer time. Mm. And the audience started asking questions. And I do not think he answered a sig- single question uh, effectively, I don't think any of his points held up to even the most moderate amount of critical questioning. And I was in the audience and I asked him one question. Well, he said, You know, if your idea is that we've retreated from our streets and we need to start waving at people and showing people that we're all neighbors in this, it all matters, how does that fly when we have a suburban development pattern where some people have been told they are allowed to go fast to the center of our city? And to do that, they come through my neighborhood. Yeah. Their goals are diametrically opposed to us. They don't care about my community. They don't live in my community. And they were told they're allowed to go fast. Do I not need to implement some of these punitive measures to signal to this person who doesn't have a vested community interest that they need to slow down? And he didn't really answer the question. He's just like, well, what if you wave at the drive? And I say, well, I'll die. They're going 65. <laughs> yeah. They don't care. You'll
1: wave from behind the fence
0: the whole talk sounded a bit like a marketing gimmick. Mm. He has this thing called the seven day challenge where he likes to go into communities that are very small. Like we're talking, he said, three to 5,000 people. And, you know, they have a problem where like their pedestrian plaza in the center of the city, it's not activated. So what they'll do is they'll get a permission document from city council to say, you can do all of these things except, you know, have 1.6 meter sidewalks and just like, the critical things and then otherwise carte blanche do what you want Hmm. and then he gets hundreds of volunteers they all get to tackle it agile they get to walk in the space and do the planning as they do it and it was pretty cool like some of the things they came up with one of the things was a bathroom that uh was a bit of an eyesore and constantly vandalized and then someone showed up and said hey i got a boat do you need a boat and they're like hmm i don't know In the end result, there's a boat with a bunch of planters on top of the thing. It's just they integrated what they had and they thought in the space. (laughs) And I thought that was a really cool idea. And as a software developer, Agile Planning, really cool. For a town of three to 5,000 people. For a town of three to 5,000 people. This doesn't scale. And most critically, 200 volunteers doing construction work in the middle of a town. I do not want to offload onto volunteers the tasks that 15,000 employees in the city of Edmonton are paid to do. We already have a volunteer burnout problem in the city of Edmonton. We don't want to offload city construction onto them. And he said, like, I'd love to come back into Edmonton and do something like this. And I'm like, well, I wouldn't love you to do that. Don't 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 come back, please. And he specifically attacked things like the core zone and lowering speed limits in his talk. I'd like you to not write front page op eds attacking the work we've worked so many years to achieve as a community when you haven't even bothered to drive around Edmonton and see, hey, we don't have front fences here. Right. Um, So that was my primary objections to his talk. It just wasn't built for the Edmonton context. It was built for small communities. And it was it didn't seem like it really held up to scrutiny. He seemed like an ideas guy that
1: just had this great idea and it worked very well where it worked but doesn't scale and then can travel from city to city telling others. I want to ask you about the core zone, but before I do, I feel like I have to read this quote from him into the record. He says, quote, a big myth around safety is that you make things safer by taking risk out. And I argue that's not the case at all. Some of the safest environments have the highest level of risk. End quote. That logically doesn't make any sense what was he trying to say here's the problem and it's another big problem is he seemed
0: ironically for someone who's an international speaker a very very poor communicator <laughs> um and i hate to hedge and t- explain his points for him but he's not wrong in all sense he's talking about the sort of shared spaces approach you see it in a lot of dense cities in europe where you remove all the traffic signs you remove all the lines and cars just share space with people it's chaotic And naturally, that causes cars to slow to a crawl. We're talking like 7 to 13 kilometers an hour. No one's going to get hurt
1: at those speeds. But then you've, by definition, taken the risk out. It's just a different approach, right?
0: We have two options. You can use traffic engineering to design systems that are safe. Yeah. Or you can remove all systems and in the end, get a system that is safe. And that's what he's arguing. Yes. But critically, if you're removing all of the risk by adding risk... You have to have a slow speed system. It works in downtown Rice Howard Way. That's an example of somewhere where we've done basically this. Mm -hmm. We could probably remove that stop sign in the middle of Rice Howard Way. Wouldn't change anything. Absolutely. But on 109th Street, if you just remove all traffic lights and all roadway lines, people will die. No doubt. On the final point, I'll mention right there, his entire crux of his argument was, you know, To take back our streets, we have to start undoing the last thing. So if the last thing we did was put up a fence in our backyard, you know, we'll take down the fence and then we'll move to the sidewalk and then we'll move to the street. Don't just throw your kids in the street as, you know, traffic calming. That would be dangerous. But the critical thing, and again, he's missing it in Edmonton, is we are still actively increasing our traffic subsidies. We are actively expanding Terwilliger Drive, Yellowhead. We are investing $1.2 billion a year in our roadway infrastructure. This is a case where we're not ready to undo our retreat from the roadway. We have to stop expanding our roadways and first. And investing in it, yeah. And so for him to argue without any of that context and to say we need to stop spending a cent on traffic calming and traffic mitigations without looking at any of the context of Edmonton, I find it frustrating at the least, but grossly irresponsible and arrogant at the worst. Um so, um, David, if you want to come chat, I'm happy to talk to you about this, but you're wrong. I suspect you won't be listening to local Edmonton podcast based on the level of research you put into our community before coming here.
1: Well, before we move on, I feel like I had, this is the time to ask you We're talking about speed reduction. CoreZone is coming back to council mm-hmm. next week or in a couple of weeks. Uh, you've had a look at the report and it's what we expected asterisk. Okay. Um,
0: so You'll recall, council asked administration to go look at what would it look like if we passed the bylaw amendments for a 30 kilometer hour core zone and 40 kilometers an hour for the rest of the city.
1: And so the idea here is council's already on board. We've agreed we're doing this. We have to make it legal with a bylaw. So bring us a draft.
0: Yes, that was what council asked administration to do. And they did that.
1: Sort of. They presented a report that
0: said, here are your two options you can have 30 kilometer hour in the core with 50 kilometer hour everywhere else or 40 kilometer an hour everywhere, which is not what council asked for. Hmm. And councillors in the room were very clear. They were baffled by uh, this change. Um, I've heard that it's a simple misunderstanding uh, from city administration. I've heard some more nefarious speculation about Actors involved in this process. But the end result
1: is yeah, administration prepared something that wasn't exactly what council asked for. This can't be a simple misunderstanding. This is one of the biggest issues that people have talked about in the city over the last year. And it's a fundamental thing to get right that council asked for 30 in the core and 40 everywhere else. That's pretty simple. Yeah. And I
0: was in the room. Counselors were unambiguous in what they wanted. Anyone that was listening in the room was very clear on specifically what was being asked. However, the motion was worded in a way that if you were belligerently trying to misunderstand it, <laughs> you could <laughs> interpret it to mean that. Um, I suspect one of two things. One is that doing 30 kmh in the core with 40 else is a little bit harder from an implementation standpoint. Or costs more. Very little more. So like basically 40 everywhere is going to cost uh, about $2.5 million. The core zone is going to cost about $1.3 million. So nothing overall. Mm. There's no real cost savings for doing both. So if you do both, you add 1.3 to 2.5. It's basically going to cost $4 million to do all of it. Yeah. Implementation wise, there's a lot more education. There's a lot more signage. There's a lot more nuance to doing both. So it's a little bit harder for for admin to implement that. I suspect admin looked through and they're like, well, I don't want to do that. And then just belligerently misunderstood the motion. Yeah. I've also heard speculation that maybe there were some counselors who didn't want this to pass through that might have nudged administration and sowed misunderstanding. Because if you were a conservative counselor in Edmonton, you don't want a recommendation to come back of, okay, we've done the work. Here's how much it's going to cost. You want these two options Mm. and then if councillors want what council already voted for they have to vote to change it to be the more expensive option and the more sort of like oppressive option if you are a conservative councillor thinking about running for mayor (laughs) you want your opposition to vote for the more expensive speed reduction plan that increases speed reduction far beyond the scope we asked for even though this
1: was the scope that you asked for That sounds more likely to me than the education. It's going to take time for people to get used to this no matter what. So we might as well start now. The core zone uh, could be implemented in six
0: months, they said. The 40 kmh everywhere would require about a year because charter bylaw, public notice requirements, education on speed limit changes. That's all coming back February 26th to committee. I expect it to pass and I expect it to be 30 kmh core zone and 40 everywhere else just like council asked for. You think
1: they'll make that decision right then and there and not ask for them to come back?
0: I, I think there may be, like, I think, come back in a month after you've changed Sorted it to out. be what we asked for. Yeah, I think we are going to get what council asked for several months ago, and there's just going to be a bit of a clarification. Whether admin has to go back and do some extra work or just go straight to council for some bylaw readings, we'll see. Hmm. Um, of note, the 40KMH can't happen immediately because... Since it's a charter bylaw change, it has to go to a statutory public hearing, whereas core zone can be read in just with three bylaw readings at a city council meeting. That's all we have time for today, except for a brief note that the city didn't quite find time to do its residential blading this week like they said they were going to do.
1: I mean, to be fair, it did snow quite a lot all of a sudden. I was in a car in the QE2 bearing the brunt of that snow. And it was minus 20 and then plus two degrees. We definitely had temperature swings this this week. Uh, I was saying to you just before we started recording that, like, I don't want to talk about snow clearing, but driving over here, like, we got to talk a little bit about it. It was brutal getting to your house in a, in a vehicle. On a bicycle, it's pretty bad, too.
0: I will say credit to us. The listener might not appreciate, but we record on Thursdays. So we were speculating about if it gets above plus zero, they're going to have to yeah. blade down to bare pavement. And then a press release came out two hours after the episode was released saying exactly what we said in the episode. Nailed it. Yeah. So a listener would be seeing, well, I already saw this press release. Why are they repeating it? <laughs> we were soothsayers. Absolutely. Plows had to go back out onto the main roads blade the arterials it is back in business i believe they are starting on friday
1: they're starting on friday counselor walters running for (laughs) mayor, uh made use of this opportunity and and said he's heard a lot of people are really upset and he wants to know more about it he said something about getting a report back sooner rather than later from administration it feels like we're always talking about snow clearing so i'm not really sure what he means by that um but he's trying to make it sound like he hears you edmonton he hears how bad it is out there but By
0: the time we release our next episode, knock on wood, it should get better. So remove your cars from the residential neighborhoods when it's your day. Go to edmonton.ca slash blading. That's free promo for you, City of Edmonton. Non-free promo is the ad we're about to read for Unit B co Coworking. Uh, Unit B, we've talked about them before. Uh, they're a co-working space downtown. Uh, they help people pursue their passions and make Edmonton their creative best. You can join a tight-knit group of freelancers, startups, and established organizations all dedicated to get things done. And we've talked about Unit B's podcasting studios, but they've also got amenities like a kitchen, Wi-Fi, desks and offices, chairs, you know. <laughs> they've got credo across the street. Do you need a different amenity than that? Yep. It's in the McKinney building on 104th Street, right by the Bay LRT station. If you want to book a tour, you can just go to unitb.ca and book one.
1: That's all for this week. But before we go, happy Valentine's Day.
0: Oh yeah, it is released on Valentine's Day. I didn't bake us cookies this year. You can go to our twitter history or instagram you can see the heart-shaped cookies we made last year it looks like the romance between mac and i is dead after a year of this commitment that's what listening to council does to you yeah all the passion is dead until next week i'm troy i'm mac and we're speaking Speaking Municipally. municipally